Scripture reading this morning will be from Revelations chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. In the Pew Bible, you'll find this scripture on page 1091. Revelation 5, 1 through 7, Pew Bibles, pages 1091. I will be reading from the King James Version. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold the line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand, of him that sat upon the throne. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. We also want to be an encouragement to others around the world, and this will be probably the third year that we've done this, and it's been a great success, and we look forward to the opportunity to participate even again today. We're going to have Operation Turkey. It's, it's official today. We, some of you have already picked those up over the past few days, but this is our opportunity to encourage preachers across parts of Latin America, especially in the country where we do a lot of mission work of El Salvador and also in Honduras and Nicaragua. And what this is, all of the names that are on the board are really, it's two maps out in the foyer. If you went out these middle doors and to the left and then immediately looked on the wall to the right, you'd see maps of Honduras and El Salvador. There are names of preachers on those maps and those preachers, most of them have families. And one of the traditions that they enjoy there, just like we enjoy here, are holiday meals. One of the things that they love to have for their meals are turkeys. But the problem is in those countries, turkeys are expensive. Now, a lot of the time people that have not been in that area, they think, well, everything is cheap in Latin America. No, the salaries are cheap, but food is oftentimes pretty expensive and turkeys are very expensive. And so one of the things they love to have is that type of holiday meal, but often and most of the time they can't afford it. And so several years ago, we began saying, let's send down $50 per family and that way they can purchase a holiday meal. And it has been not only a delightful time for them, but it has been also such a great time of encouragement. It's not just giving a meal, it's the love that offers that meal that means so much to them also. If you'd like to participate in this, we ask you to, to uh, write a card to them, wish them happy holidays, and also express your appreciation for their work in the kingdom as they work, of course, every Sunday and every week throughout the, the year. They do a great work and we love and appreciate them and want to support and encourage them in every way. Also enclose a check 
If you're making a check, it's to Mount Juliet Church of Christ, earmark it uh, for this particular work. If you want to go in uh, several families together, that's fine also. Probably many of your Bible classes will want to participate in this also. Do try to have uh, those cards, the check. And if you want to put in a picture of you and your family, uh, they love to receive pictures of it. I've been into their homes before where they'll have someone they've communicated with from the United States and it'll be framed and sitting in their their. their what we would call a living room. And so I, I want to encourage you uh, to realize that, that a little note and a picture of you goes a long way in encouraging also. And please have those back by next Sunday. And we'll wire that money down uh, the following Monday morning so that they'll have time to receive it and, and go out and, and purchase their, their holiday meal. God gives us many opportunities. I realize many of you uh, in this congregation uh, have given very much and very sacrificial uh, even over the past few weeks. And uh, so we just want to give one more wonderful opportunity. And if, if uh, you can make that kind of sacrifice right now, we want to encourage you to do so. God's family, all year long, we've been thinking about topics underneath that grand topic of God's family. If God's family is about anything, God's family is about forgiveness. Last week, we studied the topic of forgiveness in general, but this morning, we want to top, study this topic, especially with the mindset of who is the great forgiver. Do you remember that story in Mark, the second chapter? And I just want to give you this by way of introduction. We're going to study the text that was just read, but I want you to think about a few phrases that were said in that story that you probably, even as a little child, studied in your Sunday school classes. You remember when Jesus went into Capernaum and, and his messages were so uh, intriguing and powerful and his miracles were, were so uh, powerful that, that people just came in such great numbers that when Jesus was in this particular house teaching, so many people came that no one else could even enter the house. And so four men were coming, bringing their friend who was paralyzed. And they come to the house and they can't enter in to get close to Jesus. And so they climb up on the roof and they begin to set apart portions of the roof so that they could lower their friend down. And it says that Jesus saw their faith and he said, son, thy sins are forgiven. You'll never have anything more important in your life than the almighty God telling you your sins are forgiven. But those in the audience of that family and gathered in that family's home, some of them were very doubtful and thought that his words were blasphemous because they didn't believe that Jesus was God. And they even said, a phrase that was truthful. It's just a shame that it was said in blasphemy. But they said in verse 7, Who shall forgive sins but God alone? That's the topic of this morning. That's exactly right. If we want eternal life, there's only one who can forgive sins. And it is God alone. And so you remember Jesus said, okay, if I have to prove it to you, which is harder to say your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? And so he said, take up your bed and walk to prove that he had power over the physical, but the greater had already been proven. The man's sins had been forgiven. Before he was, was recovered physically, he was recovered spiritually. The man who came there spiritually dead, his faith had made him whole and he was spiritually alive. And then the Lord allowed him to take up his bed and walk. And that a in verse 10 says, 
We have never seen anything like this. Friends, we will never see the power of Jesus Christ, the power of forgiveness, the hope of eternal life, the peace that passes understanding, being able to stare death in the eyes and be at peace with it because we know our sins are forgiven. We'll never see anything like that unless we see Jesus, the Savior, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb of God. He has been slain. He has been resurrected. And He reigns, setting on the throne in heaven. That's why you and I today can talk about forgiveness. So what is this grand book of Revelation that oftentimes scares us as we think about having to study it and especially if we were ever asked a question or even asked to teach out of it. This grand book is a book in response to the horrible persecution that was coming at the end of the first century. Even though Christianity had had such a powerful beginning, the Roman government was beginning to endorse and even carry out some horrific types of persecution that I would guess not many, if any of us here, could even imagine the type of hardships and the losses that they were occur incurring in their lives and in their families' lives. You see, the Roman government had a, a plan that was, we're going to annihilate the church. We're going to destroy this idea of Christianity. And, and when you read uh, the books about the martyrs, it just really makes your skin crawl and probably challenges all of us to think, do I have that much faith? And so the book of Revelation is a vision that God gave to John to give to the people of that day that was written in signs and symbols so that if you were not a Christian, you wouldn't even understand the book. But if you were a Christian in that day and time, you would understand the signs and the symbols. And what you would learn from this is, look, you may be looking around and it may appear that Christianity is losing because physically Christians are dying everywhere. But just know, be thou faithful unto death and you will receive a crown of righteousness, Revelation 2 and 10. The victory has already been won. Stay on the side of the one who has won this victory. Stay on the side of the lamb that has been slain. He is alive, he is resurrected, and he is reigning. And so the plea is for this book to give great hope, to reveal the fact that the victory has already been won. Don't give up. And so when you see the first three chapters of Revelation, we see that he writes to the seven churches of Asia. But then when we come to the fourth chapter, it's the beginning, if you will, of the rest of the book. And if you'll think about the rest of the book as if it were a play. And in this play, there are two great acts that are going to take place in this drama, if you will. And this drama is going to teach us some very significant and real things that have happened in the redemption of mankind. And so the first thing that we see is when the curtain opens, just as when you go to a play, you immediately, as the curtain opens, you're, you're looking at the setting. Watch the backdrop because that tells you what this play is going to be about. Is it going to be a Western scene? Is it going to be an indoor scene? Is it going to be an outdoor scene of some natural place? Well, the curtain rises in Revelation 4 and it becomes real clear. This is going to be a heavenly scene. And there is something that is a centerpiece in Revelation, the fourth chapter. And it's that great throne 
But not only is this a powerful place because there's one throne, there is a throne that is the greatest, but around this throne are 24 other thrones all the way around. 12 represents the patriarchs of the old covenant and 12 represent the apostles under the new covenant. And then inside of those 12 on each side and then still facing that one throne in the middle are four creatures and they are cherubims, high-ranking angels that they do not cease to cry out songs of praise, holy, 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 just as God's children this morning have sung over and over about the worthiness of the Lamb and the holiness of God. That's what they are continually doing. But then we come to the fifth chapter and there's going to be some specific action that takes place in the fifth chapter that reveals to them in that day and time and to us even today how powerful it is to be redeemed. And so in the fifth chapter was the text that was read just a few moments ago. Did you notice that in verse one, the emphasis is placed upon the fact that there's something about this one throne that is so powerful and it's relating also to the fact that there is this scroll and this scroll is written on the inside and on the outside, which tells us that it was a lengthy scroll. In other words, in that day and time, because of the way they pieced together the parchments to make the scroll, they preferred to write on only one side of it. And it, there had to be long letters, if you will, for them to go ahead and write on both sides. And so it implies that there's a great detailed message. And this detailed message is sealed up with seven seals. Who has the authority to open the seals? Like this morning, if we said we have a message and only a U.S. senator has the power to open this message, who, is there anyone here that could open it? Now, we might have a guest here this morning, this U.S. senator. There are several that are members of the church. I hope in my lifetime that we see that multiplied 20 and 30 times over. But right now, let's hope and pray that that changes. But right now, there's probably not a U.S. senator here. So we would be like, we've got an important message and no one can read it. What if there's a message and you said, only the President of the United States of America could read it? Well, there's probably not anyone here that fits that bill either, although I hope that would change in time. Christians have so much to offer the people around them. How wonderful it would be if we could have places, people, more people in power that could be a greater influence upon our culture and upon our civilization in America. But see, here's a problem. We have this scroll that has a message that's so important that there's seven seals and there is that look to say, who can open this? And when we come to verse two, we see in verse two, back to Revelation, the fifth chapter, we see that there's a strong angel. Now notice, if it's a strong angel, how much greater is that than a human being? Well, we know throughout other Old Testament stories that one angel can defeat a whole army. So imagine this. This isn't just your average angel. This is a strong angel. And the strong angel is going about and very quickly it becomes almost a scene of panic because he's, he's looking at this scroll and now what he is announcing is we cannot find anyone worthy to open this. This is an important message. This is life and death. Somebody has to be able to be found to open it. So we go into the third verse and we find out that he searched all over heaven and then he searched all over earth and he found no one that was worthy. 
Now notice, this worth doesn't have only to do with power. It has to do with morality, holiness, purity, justice, and so many other qualities and characteristics such as that that would define perfection. That in that creates the greatest power that is in existence today. And so the angel is distraught because this sealed up scroll, he finds no one to open it. And the result is in verse four, John says, I wept much. What is salvation worth to you? Why are you here today? I just grew up in a religious family and really that's what we do in my family is we just go to church on Sunday. If that's why you're here today, if that's really why you're here today, salvation isn't worth much to you. You could be told this book, this scroll will never be opened. We can't find anyone worthy. And you'd say, okay, that's fine. I'll be back here next Sunday too because it's not about anything eternal. This is just a habit for me. I've got a lot of good friends here. And plus, I come here because I want my kids to stay out of trouble. And I think if they go to church, they're probably less likely to get into trouble. I don't care if you find anyone to open the scroll or not. Why are you here today? If you found out the scroll could not be opened, would you weep? And would you weep much? Would you realize that everything that matters at all is being lost? I want to remind you of that passage back in 1 Peter. It is just amazing to me that Peter reveals to us in verse 10, 1 Peter 1 and 10, he says of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Do you realize that that's what this whole lesson is about this morning? It's about grace. How do we get this grace? How is it offered? Who could provide this grace? And the prophet said, we continue to search and search and search. And you know, at first glance, we'd say, why do the prophets have to search? God revealed it to them. Listen, God revealed a message to a prophet, but just because they received one part of the message didn't mean that they immediately knew every other part of the message. The prophets under the old covenant realized they were prophesying about something great, but they didn't understand all the details of what is this greatness. Even under the New Testament, you remember when Peter stood and, and he talked about that the message on the day of Pentecost that was offered, it was to offer to all those who were far off. Did that mean he immediately understood that and went out and started teaching the Gentiles? No, it took him years later and finally a vision where he was shown over and over to eat the unclean thing before it dawned on him. Well, that is what I meant whenever I said that several years ago. Can you imagine that? I said it and I didn't even realize what I was saying. Listen, the prophets knew that something grand was coming and something grand was happening and they were continually searching, trying to figure out. What were they trying to figure out? Look again at the beginning of verse 10. They were trying to figure out salvation. There's this awesome gift that's going to be brought to, God, to mankind from God. It's salvation. It comes only by grace. We want to find it, is what the prophets were saying. Now, let's skip down to, and read verse 12. To them, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel. 
to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. He says, you can know things because of the preaching of the gospel that prophets long to learn and angels literally looked over the edge of heaven and they watched it unfold on earth. Can you, can you imagine? The idea of looking to is the idea to carefully watch and study. You know how when you're in the middle of, a, of maybe a, a movie or some kind of program or play that you really love and someone comes up and they say, hey, can I ask you something? Shh, no, no, no. Don't, no, later, later. Can you imagine the angels peering over and, and someone says to one angel, what are you doing? Shh, be quiet. Jesus has just gone to earth. Christ has gone as a baby. I look at the other angels, they're announcing what's going to happen. He's born of a virgin. That's just like happened back here. It it was prophesied that that would happen. Can you imagine them watching it unfold? Can you look at him perform a miracle? Look at the great power. Listen to the gospel. I'm starting to put this together. Look, he's on the way to the cross. Oh no, he's dead. Will he rise again? Three days later, can you imagine the celebration in heaven as the angels looked over and Peter is saying, do you realize how precious the gospel that's preached to you is? Do you realize that prophets just searched and searched and searched? They wanted to be able to put this together. Do you realize that angels peered over the edge of heaven to just watch it and watch it and watch it? And yet sometime, sometime we take it for granted And there may be others here this morning that have literally passed on the opportunity. Keep keep the scroll sealed up. I, I don't want it. Thank you anyway. And angels couldn't take their eyes off of the scroll. And so God shows us a powerful scene in this heavenly vision. And the scene is of a strong angel having a desperate message that the scroll is sealed and we can't find anyone worthy. And now the scene is of John crying, weeping much. And then there's good news from an elder. Notice if you will in verse five, we have an elder that arises and says, do not weep. Revelation five and five. Behold, what's the answer going to be? He's going to tell the one that can be found, that can open this scroll. And notice who it is. It's the lion, not a mouse. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Why the tribe of Judah? You remember that it was Judah in in, in Genesis, the 44th chapter. You remember He was the one that when they went back at the time of famine to purchase grain so that their family wasn't destroyed in the famine. You remember not knowing it was Joseph. Joseph demanded that Benjamin stay behind. And you remember out of all the brothers, it was Judah that spoke up and said, Master, keep me. My father would die of grief if Benjamin did not return. And you remember in the 49th chapter, Judah received a blessing that through his lineage would come the great one because he was willing, I suppose, it was because he was willing to substitute himself for another. Who's this one? It's a lion, the tribe of Judah and the root of David. 
Do you remember a few weeks ago when we studied in 2 Samuel, the seventh chapter and verse 16, it was this exact screen that you're looking at. And remember I said to you at that time, I said, this is one of the most theological phrases in all the book of 2 Samuel. In other words, if you're going to do a study of God, this verse impacts our study of God more than anything because God looks at David and even though he wouldn't allow him to build the temple, he told him here that it's going to be in your kingdom shall be established forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And so now, here we are at the very end of the Bible and, and we need someone to open the scroll. Who is going to be able to open the scroll? Well, you remember back in the Old Covenant, the reign of David was the greatest time for Israel. And now on that same throne, except this now is not just a physical throne, this is a spiritual throne that came from the, the reign of David and it's going to reign forever. He is the lion, he is the tribe of Judah, he is the root of David. But then notice that other description there, he is the lamb. The lamb is a powerful description in verse six, in verse seven of God and of Christ. Why? You remember the lamb was offered as a Passover on behalf of the people. If the lamb had not been slain, death would enter into their family. And Jesus Christ is that ultimate Passover lamb. He is a lamb that would be slaughtered once and for all. There wouldn't be that need for an annual sacrifice of lambs because he's the perfect lamb. He's the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It's the way John, this very same writer, introduced, uh, introduced Jesus. And I'm sorry, it's his gospel in John that introduced Jesus this way as John the Baptist introduced him. And, and he said, he's behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now John records this again through the announcement in this heavenly scene. He is the lamb. He is the one that will take away the sins of the world. Now because of this, we have one that's worthy. And they recognize that in that heavenly scene. And so they sung a song of praise almost as if in just a way to review what we just covered. I'd like for you to read along with me in verse 9 and 10, and I'd like for you to notice this song of praise that reviews what we've just covered. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy. See, there is one. He's worthy to take the scroll and opens its seals. Why? Notice the past tense. You were slain. Now, I need to note something here. Back up in verse 6 and 7, the lamb was described as a lamb who looked like it had been slain. In other words, in this vision, the lamb still had a slit throat. But yet the lamb was alive. In other words, it was the idea that if anyone looked at this lamb, you would say, that lamb has died at one point. But yet the lamb had seven horns in this passage, which showed power and authority. And the lamb was alive, which shows a miraculous resurrection. And so now the praise is being sung because the lamb was slain. And what did that bring about? And have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. What's, what's the great commission? Go into all the world 
go into every nation. And that's what's being talked about here. And notice what it does for us. And having made us kings, we have power now over death. And priests, we are close to God. And we shall reign on the earth. What a powerful vision. Who can open this scroll that inside this scroll is no doubt telling us about the redemption of mankind? Can anyone bring us the story of redemption? And there's one. He's a lion. He's of the tribe of Judah. He will stand in the place of another. He is the root of David. It is an eternal throne of great power. It is the lamb that has been slain on behalf of all the people to bring the people and God back together again. And this is a message, this is a scroll that is to be taken to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Where does it leave mankind? It leaves us alive. Through the power of God, we can reign with God. What an amazing story. Now let's take this lesson and let's close this morning by tying it into last week's lesson through this very same book. If you will, go over to Revelation 21 as we close. Revelation 21. You remember last week, we looked at the temple and the temple was the presence of God but the only way you could be close to the presence of God is that it was also a place of sacrifice. Your sins had to be forgiven if you're going to be close to God. Now we're in heaven. And let's read this scene here in Revelation 21 and 22. Revelation 21, beginning at verse 22. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You see, heaven is literally a place of the presence of God. There's no need for a temple. Everybody is close to the presence of God. 23, the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light and the nations of those who, notice this, are saved. It's all about salvation. The grace of God brings salvation and of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. See, now we're outside of the realm of time. We're in eternity. 26, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Notice 27, but there shall be no means, in, wait a minute, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Have you ever sinned? Yes. You're defiled. You can't come into the presence of God. So you can't live in heaven because anyone that is defiled cannot live in the presence of God. But there's a scroll. There's a scroll that someone has made it possible for those of us that have been defiled to have our sins forgiven so that we are pure. Our sin is no longer defiling us. The blood of Christ has literally made us cleansed. And so now, who would those be? The people that their name is in the Lamb books of life. Those people are invited into heaven because they no longer would defile the place of heaven. They no longer defile a perfect God. Tonight, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about how sin disgusts God because we can't truly appreciate the grace of God if we do not understand how significant and painful it is to God that our sin separates us from God. But this morning, I want you to see this beautiful snapshot of grace. I want you to see the one who died so that the way was made for us. 
You know how oftentimes songs will paint a picture that's just powerful, but also songs will sometimes take some poetic license. I'd like to tell you about a song that, that many of you have probably heard, and, uh, and if not, you'll know the story behind the song. Choruses oftentimes sing this song, and it's entitled, Watch the Lamb. And it tells in poetic license about Simon of Serene bringing his two sons with him to that great Passover holiday in Jerusalem. And along the way, he told his sons, now your job is to watch our little lamb. Don't let it run away because when we get to Jerusalem, we have to offer that lamb for the sins of our family. But along the way, that's going to be this wonderful period of worship, this powerful holy day for them and their family, they walk or stumble upon this violent scene. They see a man that the crowd has been cheering against him. And this man has a crown of thorns and blood gushing through where it's obvious that beards have been plucked. And it's obvious that his back has been ripped open. This man had been brutally beaten and was about to die. Yet they had laid a heavy cross upon his shoulders and it's obvious as this man struggles and as he stumbles and finally as he drops the load and falls beneath it, the Roman guard looks over and sees this strong young man and says to Simon, you carry it. And just out of the crowd, he is pulled over close to Jesus and the blood of Jesus scrapes his cheek as he takes the cross and puts on his own back. And he makes his way. And his little boys follow him. And they're all distraught as they see this innocent man. But then from the cross, Simon hears him say the words that are unthinkable. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Simon realizes something really significant is happening. And he hears him cry out, it is finished. His little boys are tugging at him and saying, Daddy. And they're crying. And they say, Daddy. And he looks down and they say, Daddy, we lost the lamb. During all of that, we, we forgot to watch the lamb and he's lost. We can't find him. Simon picks up his little boys, knowing that there will never be a need for another Passover lamb. And he says, sons, watch the lamb. Watch the lamb. That's the only reason you and I can talk about forgiveness today. Is that the great lamb of God has been offered. And when we fail in our life to watch the lamb, we have missed the whole beautiful story that was wrapped up in a scroll that only one was worthy to unfold this morning if we can help you in any way to come
come close to the Lamb of God, we want to help you. If you're ready for him to be your savior and for you to be baptized into Christ to begin that journey, we would love to assist you with that. If along the way you've lost the way and you want to come back and put your eyes on him again and commit your life to him again and repent and pray forgiveness, we'd love to assist you with that. Whatever we can do to help you, let's all leave here this morning realizing the great price that was paid for God's grace to offer us the Lamb of God.